0: Thank you very much, thank you to all three of you. We now turn to uh, questions from the committee, and uh, I get to begin. Um, Thanks to the work of the bipartisan members of this committee, Congress provided over $4 billion for tribal sanitation over the next five years via the bipartisan infrastructure law. This is transformative funding that will improve lives in Indian country, but based on the testimony we've just heard, this funding should be viewed as just the start. Uh, Mr. Norton, can you talk more about how the bipartisan infrastructure law funding is only half of the puzzle, given the difficulties tribal water systems typically face with operations and maintenance?
1: Thank you. First, I'd like to say that the bipartisan infrastructure uh, is greatly appreciative from tribes in the Alaska Native villages across the nation it actually changes lives providing access to drinking water and basic sanitation. But it does, as we heard, it does minimal, uh, addresses minimally to the violations that exist under the Safe Drinking Water Act. We need operations and maintenance dollars to address those, especially as new systems come aboard. These are highly technical assistance that are going into our tribal nations and that have a high capital cost. And it's prudent that we as tribes have the appropriate people to run those and the tools and the funding.
0: So let me ask a very blunt question. Will the projects that we that are now funded because of the bipartisan infrastructure law, will they be successful without funding operations and maintenance?
1: Senator, I have to speak tr- tr- truthfully. The violations will increase because we need certified operators and experienced operators to run these systems. There, As my colleagues pointed out, having the abilities to main- maintain those, certifica- those certified, certified operators is a difficult process. It has to do with a funding salary adjustments, has to do with competitive uh, 401ks, retirements, and if there's opportunities for uh, tribal members to move on, they certainly will because of the very low uh, payments that are, or salaries that are... So I know
0: the state of California has tried to fill gaps for operations and maintenance through the SAFER program. That's a very good program. Uh, but this is really... Uh, uh, in my opinion, an interim state solution to what's fundamentally a federal problem and responsibility. So, a follow up question for you uh, not from an engineering perspective, not from a technical perspective, but can you talk about the federal trust responsibility and whether we're living up to it if we fail to fund operations and maintenance?
1: Thank you, Senator. The federal trust obligation to tribes is failing in regards to providing safe access to drinking water to our communities. I base this on the observations of both my testimony and my colleague, Mr. Bennett, in regards to the high uh, uh, violation rates of both health-based violations and non-health-based violations. We need to have fixed this problem putting more money into these systems so we can have proper operations of of these facilities.
0: Okay, and I think you've given some indicators to my following question, but I want to ask it for the record. Uh, Your testimony suggests that Congress should direct the EPA in collaboration with the IHS to evaluate all American uh, Indian-owned water systems regulated by the EPA to include estimating the annual costs associated with operation and maintenance of facilities. What do you expect this report would uncover?
1: Well, the IHS has completed an initial investigation of operation and maintenance. That investigation identified core uh, cost needs for the different sizes of utilities, both wastewater and drinking water. From from about 40 million dollars for the lowers to 200 million dollars. Now, excuse me, 200 thousand dollars for the, annually for the larger facilities. What we need is a follow up, uh, more detailed investigation that looks at the uh, cost, that how to pay for these improvements, how to pay for the operation and maintenance, and the cost of of. Operating your facility, electrical cost, and that, and having that not passed on to the consumer, where we already have poverty rates in most of our reservations as high as eighty percent.
0: Thank you, Mr. Bennon Ms. Wallingbull. I have not forgotten you. I do have some additional questions, but at this point, let me recognize Senator Lummis for uh, her first round of questions.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Wallingbull. Um, I understand that there are regulatory requirements that cause difficulty for tribes meeting their obligations under the Safe Drinking Water Act. Uh, one of the things we've heard is that the tight time frame to have water on the reservation sampled in an approved lab uh, can be a struggle. Have you had that problem? And if so, how can we address this?
3: Senator Lemus, Um yes, we we face those same issues. Um, part of it is because of the lab, um, like I stated before, our, the lab locations that we have where we take the sampling um, are in the local communities, which are Lander and Riverton. Um, you know, we don't—that's where we submit our sampling. Mm-hmm. One of the um, sampling places closed, um, so it's hard to. You know that timeline, and you know it's expensive, but it is. It so I think just allowing us a little more time to get the sampling in because I know that is a violation when we are late for turning in sampling. But you know we're such a rural lo- location, it's hard to meet the meet those demands all the time. Um,
2: what one of the sites closed. Do you know what the reason was that it closed?
3: No, I'm not, I'm not sure what it okay. was. I might look into that.
2: Okay. Um, when it comes to tribes utilizing the funding Congress has set up, I sort of get the sense that you're spending a lot of time filling out paperwork for grant programs. Can Congress do a better job of streamlining the grant application process? And do you have any recommendations for us in doing so?
3: um so when you're talking about the EPA funding i believe that EPA should be working with the tribes directly i know that that their funding is funneled through IHS currently and the current the process for applying for grants through IHS can be time-consuming and tedious it it is you know they have a scoring system so they're, you have to score really well your projects are you know you you got to meet different areas of criteria you know like I said it's different agencies but I think when you're dealing with bigger projects in EPA I think EPA should be responsible for working with the tribe directly not funneling the funding through other agencies.
2: That's really good advice. Because that is just red tape upon red tape, and it hurts the tribes as much as anybody, perhaps more, than anybody who's dealing with compliance issues. Um, Mr. Norton, um, we've talked about the struggle to find trained and certified workforces. Yes. Um, Who sets those salaries, and why is this an area that's so underpaid?
1: It's based upon the uh, hookups. It's based upon the Uh, services to the the community. When you have a rural community uh, like Hoopa, the reservation I'm from, there are 800 hookups that are extended over long periods, uh, long pipelines. And the cost and maintenance of those providing water to our tribal household is costly. So what we we have to look at other subsidies for paying a competitive wage. And if I may, uh, we just had a tribal uh, operator leave our, our reservation because he was making a substandard um, salary. And he uh, has the educational background, and, but uh, he moved to Sacramento and is making three times the amount. It's not because he wants to uh, leave the reservation. Our ancestors have been there for thousands of years. Our families are there. So it's, it's, it's a difficulty of meeting the salaries of having experienced and qualified certified operators to our wastewater and drinking water systems.
2: So when Ms. wallowing Bull said that there are five systems among the two communities, Ethity and Fort Washakie. Arapo. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. So those are spread out as well. Is, is that the big problem?
3: Yes. Um, like I stated, in Ethity we have, we have water, our, a water system. But in Arapo, we have two water systems, but we have five lagoons between both communities. Five lagoons. So, both communities are separate, so, uh, you know, the water line ends with, so the areas in between those communities are on wells, so. Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Mr. Chairman, I yield back.
0: Thank you. Uh, we've been joined by uh, EPW Chairman uh, Carper. Let me uh, recognize him for any statement and questions of uh, the witnesses, and Senator Ricketts will be next.
4: Thanks, uh, Mr. Chairman. To, uh, let me just say as an aside, uh, my, my staff have been watching uh, how oh, well the two of you work together, and <laughs> your staffs, really. You. And uh, one of the things we try to do in this community, we want to get stuff done, good stuff done, for our planet, for our environment. Uh, but uh, we also try to build bipartisan support for a lot of uh, the initiatives we take up. But you set a good example for us, and I just want to say that to begin with. Um, and uh, for, welcome. Uh, to uh, to all of you, Ken Norton, right? Uh, Ken Norton, yes. Did, did you fight out Muhammad Ali? How many? Three times?
1: A uh, three couple times?
4: Yeah. Three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I watched two of those fights. <laughs> you look great for a guy who's been 15 <laughs> rounds with Muhammad Ali three times.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> uh, for those who are in the audience wondering, what is he talking about? <laughs> another Ken Norton, yeah. that uh, who did fight Muhammad Ali? I think three times. <laughs> And uh, he think uh, Ken won one, and I would want two. Did can't. You- yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. But anyway, we welcome you. Um, Thank you. And uh, Mr. Ben, is it Benin? Benin. Benin. Mr. Benin, and um, uh, Ms. Wallenberg. Paul Bo- Wallenberg. Baldwin, Baldwin. Yeah. Thanks you. Where are you from? Wyoming. Okay. And Mr. Mr. Benin. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay.
1: Northern California, Hoopa.
4: Oh, okay, good. good. Well, happy to uh, to see you all, and thanks again. We're thank helping us, and uh, this is an important issue. We care about these issues a lot. I know you do, too, so thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in April of uh, this year, uh, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency released its uh, latest uh, drinking uh, water needs survey and, and assessment. It revealed that uh, the American tribes in, Indian native villages would need over, I think, $4 billion. I think it was over $4 billion uh, in investment to fully meet their drinking water infrastructure needs, which is a staggering, staggering unmet need. Uh, Mr. Bennett and Mr. Norton, how do your organizations work with EPA uh, and other federal partners to identify and prioritize drinking water and wastewater infrastructure projects on tribal lands?
5: Chairman Carper, um, the Tribal Council of Arizona works very closely with EPA and IHS. We try to support the dialogue between the tribes, the tribal utilities, and the federal agencies, but it's pretty primarily um, the, that dialogue that generates the, the understanding of, of need. Um, but what we do see um, directly working with the operators is that this is just a constant problem because of the lack of operations and maintenance uh, funding. We keep building infrastructure, and it's just like uh, a car that ages. It has to be maintained and kept up, and if it doesn't, then we have to go buy another car. That's well, the same deal with the infrastructure. Um, and then, of course, the the remote um, you know, geographic isolation of a lot of these rural tribal systems, uh, the, the economics um, of the typical model for operations and maintenance doesn't, doesn't really fit. So I think that's the piece that's missing. Um, infrastructure is needed, yes, but the other side of the coin is needed as well. Mm-hmm. Operations and maintenance.
4: Alright, thank you. Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Norton,
5: yes, uh, your I, thoughts?
1: I echo Mr. Bennon's uh, thoughts. The National Tribal Water Council has representatives from all the regions, tribal representatives, and from, this, from the state of Alaska. And what we are hearing is the state-of-the-art technology is being implemented in Indian country, but we need the capacity to maintain those systems over long t- the long term. So these highly technical and costly investments from the American public are maintained over time. And the operation and maintenance of those systems is essential to do so. All right, thank
4: you, Brad. I, I have one uh, one more question, uh, if uh, if I could, uh, for you, ma'am. Yes. And the, uh, I think it was earlier this summer, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency announced that over, I want to say, almost $240 million in funding would be made available to tribes during fiscal year uh, 2023. For drinking water and wastewater uh, projects, much of this uh, funding was made possible by the bipartisan infrastructure law, which really has its roots right here in this in this room in this yes. this committee, who reported it out unanimously, passed the eighty the, the water piece I think on the floor I think by 18, 89 to two which is amazing uh, strong vote, but um, while uh, this is a meaningful uh, investment, we know that the projects on tribal lands often face unique challenges and uh, may cost more on average than uh, than other water systems. Mm-hmm. You've alluded to that already. Ms. So, Walling, uh, would you please explain for us some of the unique challenges, some of the unique challenges that you have seen tribal communities experience when building drinking water and wastewater systems? And it's a corollary to the second part of that question would be, how might the federal government work alongside state and local partners to help address or alleviate some of those obstacles?
3: Um, yes. As stated in my testimony, um, the biggest roadblock we do face in any of our projects is the right-of-way process.
4: Is what right-of-way? The
3: right-of-way process. Um, like I've stated, we, we, it's been an issue for us on every single project that we have. Um, the, I know the regulations were updated in 2016, the CFR regulations for the right-of-way process. However, um, it still continues to be an issue um, for a lot of the projects. We can get state and federal funds obligated for any project. And once it's obligated, um, we're always just holding, we're always just waiting to bid out the project because of the right-of-way, the right-of-way approval. So that's always the main issue that we face. Um, But, you know, just this year we've had more meetings and more relationships with epa um, which i think is we're headed in the right direction we have a better working relationship with epa but um we are i think it's just the beginning Um, so we we still have a lot of issues and problems that they they haven't seen or you know we can identify them but it's it's just the beginning of, a, of them getting involved with a lot of the work that we have going on. All right, thanks.
4: My, my time is expired, Mr. Chairman. I'd just like to briefly uh, read uh, like a sentence or two of my next question and then ask our witnesses to uh, answer it for the record. You don't have to do it here today. But could I do that? Just very briefly. Go ahead. I'm gonna ask you, I'll send you, uh, we'll, we'll follow up after the hearing with the request in writing. And we're gonna ask you, uh, each of you to share with us your experience, uh, supporting tribal communities that lack access to safe, reliable water and how that affects public health and a community's general welfare. We'll send that to you in writing and then ask you to respond to it in writing.
0: Okay. Thank you very much for joining us today, nice to see you. Thank you very much. uh, Senator Ricketts.
6: Thank you very much uh, Chairman Padilla and Ranking Member Loomis for holding this uh, important hearing today and thank you to our witnesses for coming here today and talking about your perspectives and I think it's a great opportunity to be able to share some of the challenges that we have in our tribal communities with regard to uh, drinking water. I would like to take this opportunity to uh, discuss the EPA's proposed rule for the federal baseline water quality standards, the WQS, for Indian reservations. I recognize the importance of tribal communities in developing water quality standards within the Clean Water Act. Uh, I have several concerns with the proposed rule. Uh, I, believe that all tribal nations should have to treat a state designations prior to the application for the water quality standards. And the EPA should also hold the tribes to the same water quality standards, the standard process as the states under the Clean Water Act. This process should include public participation and comments when reviewing water quality standards. And I I think that's actually one of the things that Ms. Wallingbull, you were talking about, just having that full blown EPA participation. Tribes must also equally prove proficient in technical and managerial skills for adoption and implementation. To boost coordination, there should be consultation with the delegate state agency as well as data transparency. EPA has two roles within the water quality standards. One is to intervene only when a state or tribe is failing to meet the requirements of the Clean Water Act. And two is to provide technical services like nationally recommended water quality uh, criteria to states and tribes when setting water quality standards. This role for states to lead in protecting water quality while considering other implications to communities is important, and uh, the EPA's proposed rule undermines this division of responsibility. So, Ms. Walling- uh, Wallingbull, can you speak to the importance? Because you talked a little bit about like ha- dealing directly with EPA rather than IHS. Can you talk about the importance of tribes being allowed to take the lead in water quality plans and criteria?
3: if we were responsible for taking the lead?
6: Yeah, so, yeah, the importance, right. So, like, again, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that we ought to allow states and tribes to be able to take the lead in this because they know the local situation is the best. You talked about, for example, the right-of-way issues. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about the importance of having tribes take the lead when it comes to creating the water quality standards with the EPA?
3: Yes, definitely. We... um, Like, we are a sovereign nation, um, but we do work well with the state. Um, We get state funding from Wyoming Water Development for water projects. So we do work well with them for when it comes to funding for projects so they they understand our systems. But we, um, like you said, we know our systems. We we have an engineering firm that we currently consult with who has worked with us for um, nine years. So... You know we have we have knowledgeable people. We know, and as a tribe, we know how we want to move forward. But again, you know, it's always down to the funding issue. Um, but it's not like we said the funding issue, the right-of-way process. Everything is timely because, like we said, it's it's we have a water break every week. Um, we are constantly fixing those issues, but yet we're still trying to look at the bigger picture, which you know we our goal is to create a master plan Mm -hmm. um but you know again that goes back to who is going to fund that so
6: and did you say you just were starting to begin conversations with the epa is that indicate that you hadn't had direct contact with the epa in the past
3: the working relationship was not that great in the past so we are working we are working closely with them now and um, we actually are working for our wastewater systems. We are on a compliance action plan, so they are working with us for our wastewater systems, um, and you know, then you know they regulate our water. So, but this year alone, we've met with like several different committees from EPA, or several different groups of people from EPA. So, um, they are trying to improve their working relationship with the tribe, so they they are making that effort to um, come to the reservation and assist us with what they are aware of, you know, the issues we have, so.
6: Well good, I think that, that's always gonna be the best regulatory environment is when the EPA allows local people to take the lead and surprise that supporting authority, with, whether it's technical assistance, and of course you're talking about uh, not only the infrastructure dollars, but also the, the maintenance and operation dollars as, as well going forward. So thank you, uh, again, for all of our witnesses for being here today and describing some of the challenges to making sure we're providing safe, high-quality drinking water on our
7: tribal reservations. With that, Mr. Chairman, yield back.
0: Thank you very much. We've been joined by Senator Kelly.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, let me first say thank you for holding this uh, hearing. Uh, water is a critical issue in Arizona, especially for our 22 federally recognized tribes, um, and especially as uh, this drought worsens going on for now over 20 years. Uh, so I'm really glad that we have had the opportunity to be joined today by Brian Benin from the Intertribal Council for Arizona, or ITCA. So Brian's worked uh, for tribes for nearly 30 years, and I think you've been with ITCA since 2010. Mm-hmm. And in his role, he provides training certification and technical assistance services for drinking water and wastewater-operated personnel working with tribes in Arizona and throughout the western part of the United States. So I'm really glad that you could join us today, Brian. Thank you. And thank you to uh, the other folks for being here. Um, my first question is for Brian. And you know, as I noted, you've worked with tribes um, on tribal water issues uh, for a long time. And as Arizona and much of the United States has struggled with this long-term drought conditions, uh, You know, the needs of tribal communities seem to have changed over the length of your career. Uh, Are the needs of tribal communities and tribal water systems different now than they were 20 years ago? And if so, can you explain what the differences are?
5: Senator Kelly, thank you very much for that question. Yes, I would say that they have changed, but they've gotten more complex. Uh, A lot of the same issues exist that we've had decades ago, but there are now um, all kinds of factors. Uh, variability has directly increased in, the, in hydrology. Um, we're working with many tribes on developing drought contingency plans and looking at emergency response planning for their drinking water and wastewater utilities. Um, tribal utilities that we wouldn't have expected to have these types of issues. For example, tribes in Alaska or tribes in Montana, also tribes in the Southwest. But this is starting to become um, a very complex, uh, widespread phenomenon of trying to develop um, resiliency. And, of course, EPA has the resiliency program for water wastewater utilities, and um, those resources are are being utilized right now. But we have a lot more work to do in Indian country to help build resiliency.
7: Yeah, Brian, I'm curious. You know, I was looking at um, the poster board up here. It says Native American households are 19 times more likely to lack indoor pipes for running water and sanitation. And that number, I might be wrong about this, that actually struck me for Arizona as probably being low. I'm trying to get your sense in the state of Arizona, what do you think that number would be?
5: Senator Kelly, this is a really tricky thing to try to get numbers on. I can tell you firsthand that we have had many, many... Uh, Staff members come through ATCA, and then many operators that we work with that you know personally have this situation in their upbringing of not having plumbing in their homes as they were growing up. Um, This is a, a issue of not only bringing pipes to the homes and bringing these services, but also operations and maintenance. Uh, these systems, once you build them, they need long-term sustainability of the of the operations and maintenance. So that's that's the key issue that uh, this panel is bringing forward today.
7: Yeah, last year I spent some time with an Arizona family who lacked running water in their home for decades, and uh, recently through some programs was able to get uh, you know access uh, to running water in their home. And it's uh, it's a, such a challenge for. Uh, Native American communities uh, in our state. Um, In in the remaining time, are there any lessons learned that uh, some of the relevant federal agencies like the EPA, maybe the uh, Indian Health Service and others uh, uh, should learn to respond to some of these changing needs of tribal communities?
5: Senator Kelly, yeah, I think one of the recommendations that we have in our testimony is uh, increased um, coordination amongst the different uh, federal agencies. Um, a lot of entities or agencies are working on these problems, but there seems to be needing more communication, coordination uh, directly with tribes and amongst the, the agencies themselves as How well.
7: How do we make that happen?
5: I think there's a couple of mechanisms already in place. There has been the, the Federal Infrastructure Task Force, which is a, has been a great mechanism. Um, but there, there is a lack of um, of tribal participation, tribal community participation in those in that dialogue, and then more on the uh, local level, uh, EPA and IHS have uh, a model in place of uh, technical assistance providers coordination meetings. Um, these are uh, they call them TAPS. Um, these tap meetings uh, do happen in certain areas, but there's other areas in Indian country where TAPS. Uh, don't exist. And I think uh, expansion of that model is is very would be very helpful for Indian country.
7: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
5: Thank you, Senator Kelly. Senator
8: Sullivan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I want to thank the witnesses here. I'm a big fan of our Native American communities, Alaska Native communities. You know, one thing I always like to brag about for our Alaska Native and lower 48 Indian communities is uh, the, the patriotism special patriotism. Alaska Natives and lower 48 Indians serve at higher rates in the military than any other ethnic group in the country. And that's very special. So to all your members and tribal members, uh, tell them thank you, because it's uh, not noticed enough. And it's remarkable, because let's face it, during a lot of our country's history, uh, our native people were discriminated against, all kinds of horrible uh, atrocities. And yet, generation after generation, they step up and serve America in the military. It's remarkable. So thank you for that. Uh, I also think it's outrageous that we have, whether it's reservations or over 30 communities in Alaska, that uh, don't have running water or flush toilets. The richest country in the world, some of the most patriotic communities in the world, and we can't get running water and flush toilets to them? So this is a passion of mine. It's a passion of mine, especially in Alaska, where we have so many communities. I was just out in a number of our Alaska Native communities, rural communities that don't have running water and flush toilets. We need to do more. So can I just get very quickly from the witnesses your sense on, is there enough funding to address this basic needs? You know, during COVID, they told many Alaska Native communities that wash your hands five times a day. Oh wait, you don't have running water. How are you gonna do that? So what do you think the best way to do it is? And I'll, I'll just ask each of the witnesses. And, but I, I do wanna make one, one other point, which I do a lot in this committee. You know, there's a lot of discussion on racial justice, environmental equity, you know, the terms the Biden administration puts out. Unfortunately for my constituents who are indigenous, there's a big asterisk with the Biden administration. It's racial justice, environmental equity, but if you're an Alaska native, you're an Alaska native, this administration's out to get you. I just sent a text, I hope the news picks up on it, to Secretary Holland. I have a group of Alaska native leaders from the North Slope of Alaska. The elected leaders, the tribal leaders, the Alaska Native Corp leaders who have tried to meet with Deb Holland six different times. They fly 5,000 miles to Washington, DC. She and the president are undertaking policies that are devastating their region North Slope, that's the National Petroleum Reserve of Alaska, ANWAR. They never get consulted. They're in town again. Six times, Deb Holland has said, "No, I'm not going to meet with you." So I've sent her a text saying. Madam Secretary, do the right thing, damn it, and meet with my constituents, please. Alaska Natives, please. Okay, we'll see what she does. Pretty sure she's gonna ignore them, but sorry, I had to vent on that. To the point on where we should be, what's the most effective way? I know we have different tribes, different reservations, to make sure people get basic running water and flush toilets. It's not too much to ask in America. Uh, I'll go to each of the witnesses. I can start. Thank you, thank you, Senator
1: Sullivan. Um, as we heard before, that the EPA just completed the drinking water infrastructure assessment needs assessment, and that identified a need of uh, two hundred. Oh, was it four hundred billion? No, four billion dollars.
8: Okay. And for all of Indian Country.
1: For Indian Country, yes, including Alaska Natives. Oh, okay. That is up. Uh,
8: and they think that would be enough to, to get everybody, running water and flush toilets.
1: Well, the the, the issue at hand is the it's providing access is one part of the puzzle. Okay. Providing the, the sanitation and the drinking water facilities. It's the operation and maintaining those systems is the oh, difficulty. Right. right. And That's so once you have a state of the art facility. Do you have the operators? Do yes. you have the people to maintain those? And the American public significantly put their investment into these systems, and we as Native people want to make sure they're operated over a long period yeah. of time Great and point. serve and serve our community.
8: So does the four billion cover that, or that that's in addition? That would be in addition.
1: I believe it. It's a. It it only deals with the construction. Okay. That, right. And, and doesn't deal with the operation and maintenance
5: component of okay. that. Okay. So I mean. Thank you.
8: That's yeah, and that operation and maintenance issue is a giant issue we see in Alaska all the time. Yeah.
5: Senator Sullivan, this is uh, a very interesting uh, situation that Alaska natives have. We've been uh, providing uh, training courses. This, is, this gets back to the operations and maintenance side of things. Uh, operators need to get trained, and then they get they go through the certification process. Um, the trainings that we've had for Alaska Native villages have been some of the most heavily attended, yeah. standing room only type of situations. And the the scenarios that were described by the operators were remarkable. Um, you know, having you know literally um, you know sled dogs and and snowmobiles to you know get to the various communities um, i understand that the the engineering side of things is is very unique and and, and specialized but um the situations are the same you know um, infrastructure construction the dollar amounts i have no idea but yeah. it's going to be very expensive and then to maintain those systems right. operations and maintenance and um and, and so the process is all the same it's just is it being addressed adequately for Alaska Natives? I, I, I suspect definitely not.
8: No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ms. Wallingbull.
3: Senator Sullivan. Um, I agree with my constituents here. Um, the operation maintenance is always the main issue for... Yeah. You know, we face the same thing um, with... I stated in my testimony, we, we don't... All of our water, our water and sewer operators are not certified. And so we face those same issues, but I don't think. Um, just looking at when you are mentioning dollars, I know that we did a cost estimate for our systems alone. Just like I stated, we have two systems with three water systems and five um, lagoons, which you know is totally different from you know all the other reservations. But we um, just alone, like in twenty, the cost estimate for twenty seventeen was thirty million. You know that's you know, tripled now. But that wasn't for all of just, you know, fixing what we think needs to be fixed because our system is not uniform. Um, we, you know, every, our lines, like we said, undersized, but we go from like a four inch to 12 inch. Yeah. Um, it's not a uniform system. So we, we face, um, you know, our, the supplies we need, we have to go two hours away because our local Con- our local um, businesses do not carry any of the supplies to fix our to fix our pipelines anymore so um, but. well
8: I, I want to thank you. every place is unique mm-hmm. but to me this is a mr. mr chairman this is a issue that I think should unite Democrats and Republicans on getting our first people's the ability to have clean water right it should yeah. it it should uh It shouldn't be that hard and so I'm a big advocate for this particularly in my state but in all the reservations in America you know again some of the most patriotic Americans in the country you know have to use honey buckets what we call honey buckets in Alaska well they're not sweet-smelling tell you that (laughs) right so we'll keep working this but I appreciate the witnesses uh, being here on a really important topic for my state certainly so thank you mr. chairman
0: thank you senator Sullivan and uh, Appreciate your comments. I'm sensing bipartisan support building for this uh, effort to prioritize investing in operations and maintenance, not just the initial construction. Uh, It only makes sense for the federal government to uh, uh, financially support the longer-term viability of significant uh, initial investments. I wanted to ask some additional uh, questions on some additional issues. Uh, I want to turn back to workforce and workforce development. Last week, the EPA released its seventh drinking water infrastructure needs survey and assessment in which state, local, and tribal water systems reported that hiring difficulties will increase over the next decade. I think we've already acknowledged the current challenges but these difficulties will increase over the next decade. Small water systems specifically cited their inability to hire full-time employees and offer competitive benefits. We know that this is a national challenge, but we also know that tribal water systems face their own unique issues with workforce and credentialing. Uh, Mr. Norton, you were asked about this earlier, so I want to afford Mr. Bennett and Ms. Wallingbull an opportunity to weigh in here, and we'll start with, you, Ms. wallowing but can you speak to the uh, unique challenges of hiring and retaining staff?
3: Um, yes, we, like I stated, we have six water and wastewater operators. Um, it is a different, you know, it's a demanding job for our, for our systems because, like I stated, we have water breaks every week. Um, the rigorous hours and the demand, you know, once somebody... Um, in our system is without water. It's, you know, complete chaos. Um, so we are, and in, in like I said, our our system is not uniform. So when we have a water break, half of the town is out because we can't isolate fixing that water break. So it's always, once there's a water break, you know a big part of the the community is going to, going to be without water. Um, but I, you know, it's hard finding those dedicated yeah. individuals, especially within our community, to want to become certified um, just because of the the backlash they do get um, for um, just not being able to provide, you know, yeah. especially when there's water breaks. It's always an issue. But um, we have... We are working with Wyoming Rural Water on an apprenticeship program to start certifying more of our water operators. So they are committed to a two-year program to become level one certification. So that is a you know, positive step forward for our community in Wyoming Rural Water. So that's something that we are working on right now. And they haven't started it yet, but that's something new.
0: Good. And I do have questions about certification. That's an important piece here. But first, I want to ask Mr. Bennett to chime in. Do you have any suggested strategies for increasing the uh, number in the workforce, A uh, number
5: of operators in the workforce needed to run these systems? Chairman Padilla, yes. Thank you very much for this question. Um, I recommend, like, a, a three-pronged approach. The first is you have to have um, viable... Uh, wages and and uh, benefits at a utility to attract the talent that's needed to operate these systems and the only way to do that is to have uh, financial viability for operations and maintenance because that's where the salaries are supported um, to have a, a, the finances for the utility so that's number one uh, the second is and it's not just specific to Indian country this is for the entire water industry in general. We have to have a a top-down and a bottom-up approach of changing perceptions about the important role of of the water operators. So many people just take it for granted. We turn on the tap or use the restroom, it just happens. And nobody understands that there's teams of people, or should be teams of people working behind the scenes to make that happen. So we're talking about... um, you know, public service announcements, um, uh, getting the general public, getting decision makers to understand that very important role of these men and women that operate the water systems. And then the third point is, uh, goes back to the fundamentals, operator certification. We really need to take another look at the credentialing industry. Um, there's, um, it, it's kind of a mixed bag across the country of the way primacy agencies handle it and there's a lack of consistency, but we're seeing, unfortunately, at the Intertribal Council of Arizona, the Operator Certification Program, um, the passing rates for the certification exams are are dropping. Um, The exams get more and more complex as the industry gets more complex. Um, We're dealing with um, individuals entering into this work field that, you know, um, some of them have College degrees, but most of them have just high school or GEDs. And the, you know, you look at the Department of Labor uh, competency model for water and wastewater operators. It's this pyramid with all these bricks of all these domains of knowledge. It's astonishing what they have to know, what's on the certification exams, and then the years of experience of putting into practice. Um, we got to be careful with where the barriers are. We want folks to enter into this career field. And if there's too many barriers in place, which I think there are, um, maybe we should see look at it again. And I think the Infrastructure Task Force is a great starting point of looking at that.
0: Thank you. Um, Ms. wallen referenced uh, being on the verge of a partnership uh, between tribes and uh, other water agencies in Wyoming. I know there's both official and unofficial in California. Uh, Mr. Bennett, can you tell us why there are no federal guidelines for tribal wastewater
5: operator certification <laughs> chairman Padilla, I I couldn't tell you the reason why I could tell you that it doesn't exist I know that EPA is aware of the situation and that there needs to be um, um, some I guess some desire or will or, or impetus to to create such a thing like it exists in drinking water for Indian country, we don't have such guidance. What that means is we don't have a way of classifying wastewater infrastructure. You begin with classifying the facility, and then the level determines what level of certification is needed. That doesn't exist right now. We don't have methodologies for, for operator certification for wastewater, and um, and that needs to be
0: created. Wait, so. Yes or no, would there be value in establishing that? Absolutely, it's needed. Okay, and is it an and or an or uh, value added by reciprocity, reciprocity of certification
5: between different states to help tribal systems? Reciprocity is the process of equivalency from one jurisdiction to another. And so because tribal boundaries don't coincide with state boundaries, We do have operators where this is a very uh, significant situation. Uh, Career mobility. We talk about operators leaving to take careers elsewhere. But the the fundamental issue of reciprocity for, for tribal operators is who is the primacy agency for their facility and what regulations are applicable for their utility? And that is what there's a lot of, It's gray, nobody really, it's hard to figure that out, especially when uh, primacy agencies have varying degrees of regulations. And so figuring out what regulations are applicable to their utility and what type of training and certification is needed, that's where reciprocity comes in and having clear distinction about the primacy agencies and and, uh, regulations that are applicable to them, that's the issue. Thank you. Uh, We've spent time on uh,
0: the the need to invest in operations and maintenance. We've talked about some of the workforce difficulties and challenges. I want to spend a few minutes talking about water quality. A statistic that many of us have focused on today is that Native American households are 19 times Mm -hmm. more likely than white households to lack indoor plumbing. Uh, It's so shocking we made a poster. But the reality is that even this devastating statistic doesn't capture water quality, whether that indoor plumbing is actually delivering clean, safe drinking water uh, and water for sanitation. Uh, Mr. Orton, your written testimony notes that health-based drinking water violation rates for tribal water facilities are higher than the rates for water systems regulated by states. Why is that? And, And what can we do to improve not only water access, but also water quality and tribal systems?
1: Thank you for the question, Senator Padilla. It, it comes down to having experienced and certified operators. And what we see in Indian Country is the difficulty of maintaining these operators over time and the longevity. In our state counterparts, they have multiple operators that specialize in certain aspects of the drinking water facility and the wastewater facility. What we have in Indian country is a operator that wears multiple hats and has to do multiple tasks at multiple times. When this operator is down or has to do uh, other personal business, the the utility suffers, or the person leaves due to uh, salary inequalities and the replacement. What we see in Indian country when we replace and the immediate need in addressing those uh, health-based violations, tribes are forced to hire consultants at least four times, three times, or four times the cost, Senator. And it is another burden on the tribe that is unable to pay for the operation and maintenance. And they can't be passed on to the consumer. So, And those are the, probably the main reasons why we start seeing health-based violations in Indian Country has to do with the operation and maintenance of those facilities.
0: Thank you. Mr. Ben, I see you're nodding quite a bit. Is there anything you'd like to add? (laughs)
5: Uh, Chairman Badia, yeah. Definitely, uh, operations and maintenance is a major contributing factor. Every most operators understands that uh, it's all about protecting public health. It's it's number one priority on the mission of being a water and wastewater operator. Um, the issue also is that these are um, designed to protect public health, but they're very complicated and take years to understand. Um, and so it's it's things are not helped when the uh, certification process does not cover, does not measure operator's knowledge of the regulations. And it's, it falls on local jurisdictions to, to measure that. And we just, ITCA just got through the process of creating um, an assessment for tribal operators on the regulations that EPA implements on reservation lands. And the only way we could do it is to have the regulations at the fingertips of the operators on electronic tablets that they have take out into the field. You can do a word search, uh, and and because if you were to print these things out, we tried. It's over you know twenty five hundred pages, but to have that as a tool for the operators is something that we just started this year, and we're hoping over time mm-hmm. this will start to help. Uh, question for
0: you: Is there? something about the, uh, the the nature, the fundamental nature of the different types of water agencies that impacts for better or for worse, access to safe, clean, drinking water, and by the different types of agencies, I mean tribal versus other public versus private water systems.
5: Yeah, Chairman Perdita. Yeah, the, um, the 1,044 public water systems in Indian country, according to EPA's d- database, um, the majority are tribally owned, but there are significant numbers also uh, that are have different types of ownership, and um, we see differences according to the different types of ownership. For example, um, the uh, casinos they have a lot of resources, and so we see uh, well-staffed, well-operated utilities. Um, on, on the other side of things, we see these uh, these uh, public-private Uh, public water systems at schools, Uh, whether they're tribally uh, controlled schools or federally controlled schools. But a lot of these schools on these very geographically remote locations um, have their own water systems, and those are the ones that have very limited resources. They're typically, the operators are typically the custodial staff of the school, and they're handling the, the maintenance of the grounds and everything, and they have practically no budgets whatsoever. Um, we, we see huge needs there. Um, we see private enterprises uh, um, in Indian country that have water systems, such as mobile home parks and that type of thing, and, and we do see uh, very significant issues with some of those types of, of ownership public water systems.
0: Thank you. Uh, There's a few more issues I'd like to cover, but uh, in the interest of time, uh, we'll also offer uh, questions for the record after the hearing and provide some time for you to respond. But the last issue I do want to raise for today uh, has to do with uh, water affordability, right? Different than access and quality affordability. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, in the first subcommittee hearing, uh, we focused on the issue of water affordability and small water system assistance, because unlike other forms of infrastructure like bridges and roads, clean drinking water isn't primarily funded by taxes. Instead, more than ninety percent of the average utility's revenues comes directly from ratepayers. But unlike state and local governments, who can also use tax revenue to supplement uh, revenue from water bills. Tribal governments don't have such a tax base and instead rely uh, on uh, essential uh, government services like drinking water uh, and wastewater for federal support. Uh, Mr. Bennet, your written testimony notes that uh, over 90 percent of tribal public water systems are classified as small or very small systems serving 3,300 or fewer customers so not a big uh, customer base uh, to spread uh, uh, capital costs uh, across. Uh, This obviously presents challenges when structuring rates. How helpful would a permanent water rate assistance program be, whether it be uh, a
5: LIWAP or an EPA program? It's coming to me. Mr. Chairman. The need for some type of a, um, you know, subsidy to help bridge this gap where the scales of economy of the, you know, water utility model starts to fail, there needs to be some type of funding mechanism to help utilities bridge that that chain, that, that difference there. Um, the LIWAP program is, has been hugely successful but focuses narrowly just on the one aspect of utility revenues and that's the ratepayer. payer. Um, and, and so if you have a very small uh, population trying to figure out where that sweet spot is of setting the rates to cover all the costs. Um, we do have technical assistance support out there f- to help utilities do that. but. My suggestion is that there should be a, another funding mechanism to bridge bridge that difference, um, to work hand-in-hand with LIWAP, but also primarily looking at the very technical side of things, not the economics so much side of things of the customer, but of what the community and the utility unique needs are. Um, it is a very technical um, pros- a process of est- establishing rate structure. And um, there is definitely a need for an additional funding mechanism to assist small rural tribes with that. Okay. Uh, Ms. Wall and Mr. Norton, I'd like to
0: hear a little bit about your experience, or your utilities experience with LIWAP and whether you think uh, Congress should fund a permanent water rate assistance program.
3: Chairman Padilla, yes. Um, actually, we received LIWAP funding for um, water Water assistance this year or last year Um, and I know it has been uh, a big thing for our tribe our water billing um, currently is not in a I mean a great situation right now Um, we our water billing system is not enforced so it's um, it's difficult to get everybody on the system and you know even if we are a flat rate but even if everybody was to pay that wouldn't even sustain our system it would just you know cover the operation b- barely um, you know wouldn't even supplement salaries or anything else so you know the operation maintenance is continuously an issue but we <clears throat> but the LIWAP actually did assist a lot of individuals um, and you know, the funding goes back to the tribe, which was helps with us, too. So I think continuously providing that funding would be beneficial. And we also, because we, we are billing and we work with USDA Rural Development, they also have a program that assists with low income for, for um, water bills. So. Thank you. Thank Mr. you. Martin. The Lylap
1: program was very successful for the Hoopa Valley Indian Reservation. It was based upon an annual income and the majority of the uh, annual income in Hoopa is uh, below poverty level at 80%. Having a the LILAP program continue is essential in our Native American communities. If we, as my colleague Mr. Brennan pointed out, if we can bridge that gap somehow where we can have the assistance of these to the ratepayer, and then have the assistance from the Indian Health Service through their statute of O&M and helping off- offset those costs, it would be a, a mutually acceptable program that tribes would embrace.
0: Wonderful. Uh, well, uh, before uh, concluding the hearing, I do want to uh, take a moment to once again thank Chairman Carper and Ranking Member Capito and the Subcommittee Ranking Member Lummis for making today's hearing possible. Appreciate the efforts of. Uh, our collective staff as well, Uh, especially want to thank our witnesses for your thoughtful testimony and uh, your ongoing efforts to improve the state of tribal water in this country. As I mentioned earlier, today's hearing is about more than just the transformational investments we're making in water infrastructure. It's about fulfilling our federal trust responsibilities to tribes that deserve a guarantee from the federal government to safe, healthy and prosperous life. Those responsibilities don't end after the enactment of one historic infrastructure bill, and they're not fulfilled by periodic check-ins just to say we've done our job. This is a constant and growing nation-to-nation relationship that goes both ways. And yes, we have a moral responsibility to continue to serve Native American tribes who were forcibly displaced from their homelands. And I want to make clear for folks back home the problems discussed today, this isn't a matter of technical infrastructure jargon or policy speak. This is about making sure that a parent in Indian country can turn on the tap and not fear they'll get their child sick by giving them a glass of water. It's about making sure a family on a reservation doesn't have to conserve every last drop of water to bathe themselves because they're not sure when the next shipment of water will come in. It's about making sure an entire community doesn't have to worry about one lightning strike or one burst pipe or extreme weather, what that could mean to loss of all clean water. Mm -hmm. And of course, for countless Native Americans, it's about knowing that the U.S. government values you and your family's health enough to invest in the resources that will keep you safe. So I take this responsibility seriously. And clearly with multiple hearings this week and next, the US Senate is demonstrating that we all take this issue seriously. But now it's time to move beyond the initial excitement over an influx of funding to tribal communities to do the bipartisan infrastructure law and follow it up to make sure it's accessible and implemented thoughtfully because we've got to make sure that we're making long-term, sustained investments in water systems throughout the country. Uh, I once again thank our witnesses today for helping us to better understand some of the potential next steps we can take to bolster tribal communities' water systems. As Mr. Norton pointed out, that could include directing the EPA and the Indian Health Service to evaluate the specific needs of all tribal public water systems to determine what it would take to fund a federal operations and maintenance program. Or as Mr. Bendon pointed out, that could include improved workforce development so that tribes have access to water and wastewater system operators that can provide safe drinking water and adequate sanitation services. And as I called for in the first subcommittee hearing, we need to fund a permanent water rate assistance program akin to LIHEAP for energy assistance to ensure that Native American households can afford water bills. And we need a whole of government approach to fully funding federal programs related to tribal drinking wastewater including the programs in the bipartisan infrastructure law that we authorized but didn't fund. So I look forward to advancing legislation in the months ahead that lives up to our trust responsibility to provide clean water throughout Indian country. And I uh, want to thank you all again for being here. Uh, look forward to the follow-up. And with that, this hearing is adjourned.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.